a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Everyone is concerned about the environment. So how do we deal with that? What if I told you that big business might actually be the solution and good for the environment? Would you buy it? Let's dig in. Uh, as we look at the race to fight climate change, I think there's an argument to be made uh, that this is not just the environment versus big business, but actually that the free market and competition within the free market by businesses might just have the answer to some of those green energy needs that everybody seems to want. Helping us break all of that down, Devin Hartman is with R Street Institute. He's the policy director on energy and environmental policy. Devin, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. As we, uh, we've obviously moved through uh, Earth Week and uh, foc- uh, focus on a, a lot of the things relating to climate and the environment and being stewards of the land. And I think uh, there's far less division on that if we really think about it. Uh, but there is obviously vast differences in terms of what we should do about those kinds of things. And uh, you suggest that, uh, that we should celebrate the competitive markets as a potential unsung climate hero. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a really new and refreshing, exciting narrative. I think historically we've always thought about environmental progress and the cause of liberty as a bit at odds with one another. And I think it was always overblown historically. But what we're seeing going forward is that with the state of what markets are doing, both with new technologies, but also the preferences of consumers, investors, employees, you're increasingly seeing that the marketplace want to tackle major environmental issues, including but not limited to climate change. And so when we actually look at what's holding back all that progress, the vast majority of the problem now is that existing regulations today simply are not equipped to handle the amount of demand that the private sector already has to invest in a clean transition. And further, you actually have a lot of incumbent interests that benefit from building this competitive moat with the regulatory system. So thus, if we actually open up these these economic systems to competition and consumer choice, we'll actually see a cleaner transition, a lower cost one, and a more innovative one. All right. So I want to dig into to, to a couple parts of this. Uh, one, the regulatory piece. We'll come to that one in a second. Uh, but first, mm-hmm. let's just look at what some of the things that are naturally happening. You, you mentioned that businesses and organizations and heads of businesses, large organizations, are, are all interested in tackling this. Uh, you threw out some statistics in a piece you had in The Hill not too long ago talking about that investment, that investment uh, in uh, environmental kind of programs for businesses is actually up from 2018 uh, through 2020. Tell us about that. Sure. So right now, a lot of folks oftentimes hear environmentally oriented or sustainable investing. That started off as really a niche concept last decade. And then it started to gain steam in the 2015 to 2018 period. And then it really hit this inflection point in 2019. So, for example, of all private assets under management, 
in the United States, less than 5% used to fall in that category. It was very niche. Then it hit this point a few years ago, and now we're at this, this threshold where tens of trillions in capital is dedicated in funds with an environmental orientation. Mm. Now, it's still maybe in the neighborhood of roughly one-third of assets being held, but it's marching quickly as it goes into the mainstream towards half of assets under management. And if you talk to a lot of leading minds in Wall Street, they're thinking that by the end of this decade, they're looking at upwards of 80 to 90% of privately held assets in this country will explicitly have an environmental um, concern embedded in the investment thesis. And so really we're seeing markets internalizing environmental concerns and they really just can't deploy that capital quickly enough um, to, 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 to get the um, impact that they want in the near term. Wow, those are those are stunning numbers. Uh, let's let's jump over now to the the regulatory component and how mm-hmm. regulations from the federal government are hurting some of our clean energy choices. Yeah, I think the the, the biggest issue right now um, we oftentimes see the greening of the electric grid as sort of the the forefront of the clean transition. Of course, transportation and heavy industry emissions are are a big focus too. But right now, and especially with this administration, the, the, the forefront of the agenda has been to get cleaner energy to come online. Well, right now, we're actually seeing a complete energy backlog. Um, just You can kind of call it like a clean blockade, if you will, because new wind, solar storage, and even cleaner natural gas facilities are trying to come online. They're getting delayed by years through a combination of complex you know, interconnection requirements to the grid, but also just basic permitting and siting constraints. And so ultimately, whether some of the environmental objectives of this administration are going to be met this decade actually has more to do with how quickly we can free the marketplace and actually has virtually nothing to do with Build Back Better <laughs> and these other public spending programs, which largely are just subsidies that are going to do what the private sector already wants to do, but oftentimes can't build. Uh, all right, Devin, now we're going to give you the ultimate uh, power as a czar of energy and environmental policy for the world. <laughs> how, do we, how do we do that? What's the right balance in terms of getting to cheaper cleaner energy and making sure we are being careful stewards of the environment in the process? So first off, I'd say really getting off of, in the energy domain, really getting off of state-sanctioned monopolies, open up these markets, make sure especially like your electric and natural gas utilities are fully subjected um, to competitive forces, Mm. and consumers are given the opportunity to choose their supplier. That is huge in that segment. And then also getting into this concept that we need to let commodity markets, we need to reform regulations that affect commodity markets, which are trying to create premium products that are cleaner than conventional products. And right now there's a huge lack of legitimacy that's being perceived, a ton of regulatory uncertainty, a lot of regulatory risk um, that's being involved. And a lot of our innovative players um, both in the financial markets as well as the physical technologies fronts are kind of just sitting there in limbo right now until they can get some clarity because they know the market demand is there, but they know that 
For example, they're worried that regulators are going to hit them with a charge of greenwashing if they come out with a premium product. Mm. So it's really creating a chilling effect on a lot of investment, and it's hampering that ability of private capital to get matched with what uh, individual choice um, really wants. Uh, for the that, future. Yeah, I think that's so insightful in terms of how that actually plays out and some of the things that actually slow down our ability to innovate uh, and become cleaner yeah. and greener in that process. Uh, you also mentioned the Build Back Better, uh, and that doesn't seem to be the, the real solution to everything. Obviously, Congress is coming back into session this week. What do you see on the horizon, or what are you watching for on the horizon that might help us get some of the right conversations going when it comes to how do we actually do this, not just for fundraising purposes for the right or the left or anybody in between, mm-hmm. but how do we actually get to solutions that are going to make a difference for the American people, that are going to be good for the business, and are going to be good for the, the planet? That's a great question, and I would start off by saying, let's focus on results. Mm. Right now. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to, I couldn't couldn't contain it there. Yeah, we are all about outcomes. So, yes, that's number one. What's next? (laughs) Well, I'd say, so if you you get people to buy into results, we want economic growth. We've got to get our fiscal house in order. We know those two things have to be there while we tackle our environmental problems. And unfortunately, our environmental politics has been more focused on using public spending as an indirect measure of climate progress. And that's really unfortunate because it doesn't get you much in terms of results anymore. And it actually exacerbates a lot of the economic problems that we're facing now. And so this speaks to why the president was so concerned with mentioning climate in the State of the Union address. This speaks to why Senator Manchin and other more fiscally minded members are having concerns about aspects of the green agenda. Instead, we should get taxpayers, environmentalists, and consumer groups in a room and say, hey, how do we hash this out? Because all of you can actually benefit if we have competitive forces liberated to do their jobs in the right way. Uh If you get those interest groups aligned, boom, then you get proponents of liberty and and a cleaner future to be in lockstep going forward. Uh So that union has to start um, yeah, absolutely. Devin Hartman is uh, R Street Institute's policy director on energy and environmental policy. Thank you for helping us frame that debate in the right frame, including <laughs> outcomes. That just doesn't happen nearly enough. Uh, great insight. I uh, really appreciate you joining us today, Devin. Thank you very much. All right, that's great stuff. Uh, if you missed that one, go back and check out the podcast later on this afternoon at kslpodcast.com. Check out Inside Sources. Coming up, First Lady Jill Biden met with Ukrainian First Lady over the weekend in Europe. What's the message? What's the meaning? And what will it do? Coming up next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do 
in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.